All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 25. Acts 25. Today, um, if you grabbed a sermon outline, you probably noticed the sermon outline was separate from the bulletin because it's just a big outline. Um, it started out as a 10-point sermon, and I just figured probably should condense that a little bit for you. Um, but um, we're going to look at Acts 25, verses 13, to Acts 26, verse 32. So we're going to look at a chapter and a half this morning. Now, I know typically we don't take that large of chunks. Um, my The thing I like to do is I like to take one verse and, and just pick it apart. Um, you know, the Puritans, if, if you like to read the Puritans, they'll write a whole book on one verse. Uh, and it's it's amazing. Uh, and so, but today, we, oh, there's a ladybug. Today we are going to um, we're going to uh, look at a chapter and a half. I'll let you stay there, buddy. All right. So Acts twenty five thirteen. If you're there, say word. Fantastic. Now listen. I know you're probably thinking we're going to be standing forever, but here's the thing: uh, the most truest thing out of my words. All right. The most purest thing out out of my words. Wow. Out of my mouth. The most truest thing, the most purest thing, the most honest thing that I can do up here, the best thing I can say is the Word of God. And so let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word, and let's read a chapter and a half. Bible says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. (laughs) So let's honor God's Word. Acts 25, verse 13. Here we go. Now... When some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the Lord, the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had nothing, had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. 
Therefore, I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I also cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O O, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen, when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and, and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right, let's close and then we'll come back next Sunday and preach. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the truth that is in your message this morning. Use me as you see fit. We are thankful for who you are. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And no ugly emails to me this week. That was God's word. And praise God for his word that we have it available to us. All right, Acts 25, verse 13. Let's start from the beginning. We see here, as we have seen over the past few weeks in the book of Acts. First off, church, if you've been with us since January of 2020, we are almost done with the book of Acts. And if you were with us before that, we went through the entire gospel of John verse by verse. Now we've just about hit the entire Acts verse by verse. This is exciting. We are, we are knocking this out and we're not trying to do it fast. I chose this amount of passage because it's all one narrative. It's all one area. I could have broke it up because I got 10 points. I got four little sermons for you this morning, but Because of the narrative, I thought this would go a little easier. Paul has been in prison for two years. We saw this last week. Festus has become the governor of Rome. He has taken Felix's place. Felix, who was trying to do a favor to the Jews, left Paul in prison. People want him dead because he is proclaiming the gospel that Christ has rose again. Put your faith and trust in him. And the Jews want him dead for it. And so Festus, as we see Agrippa and Bernice coming to greet Festus, Festus has just become the governor of Rome. Agrippa and Bernice want to come and greet him. We learned last week this is not a healthy relationship between Agrippa and Bernice. They're brother and sister and they're married. All right. But this is just how Bernice and Agrippa are. It's just sinful. And so we see here that they have come And Festus needs help. Paul has appealed to Caesar. And Festus has told Agrippa in verses 13 through the rest of, or in verses 13 through through the rest of 25, Festus has told Agrippa, I have no charges to present to Caesar. I don't know what to write to, to him. I've got a prisoner who has appealed to Caesar, but yet there's no charges of him. The Jews just don't like him. There's a dispute between them within their religion, but yet this guy, Paul, has not done anything wrong. He just keeps talking about this Jesus character that has risen from the dead. And the Jews are upset about that. And so Agrippa tells Festus, I want to hear this man. Agrippa, who is a king, Agrippa, who is a Jew, Agrippa, who knows of Judaism, wants to hear what Paul has to say. And this is amazing here. This is amazing because we see the promise that Jesus gave Paul, that he is going to be a missionary not only to the Jews and not only to the Gentiles, but to the kings. And here Paul 
now is making a defense of the gospel to King Agrippa. Now, this is the king who is the son of King Agrippa I, who died in Acts, I believe it was 13 or maybe it was 15, who died. Remember that king who stood up and the people were like, he's like a god. And yet the scripture tells us that he did not give glory to God. So the angel of the Lord comes down and strikes him dead with worms. That's a way to go. This is the son of that king. This is King Agrippa II. And so Paul is making a defense to him. Here's the main idea that I want to get across to you this morning. It it, it is this. Because of Christ's faithfulness, believers are to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. My sons say when they cough, I'm trying to get a frog out of my throat. I feel like I had a frog. Yeah, yeah. I got a frog in in my throat. Because of Christ's faithfulness, believers are to be faithful in their witness to Jesus. Now, we see this because Paul is being faithful in his witness to Agrippa, to Festus, to Bernice, to the tribunal, to the to, to the military men. I mean, this is a this is a council of people that are prominent in Rome. These are some people that are important. And Paul is being faithful in his witness to them. He has been in jail for two years. And he's getting another opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So let's break it down for you, okay? Go to chapter 26, verses 4 through 8. 26. Watch out, ladybug. All right. This little ladybug starting to get on my nerves. All right. 26, verse 4. My manner of life. From my youth, and this is Paul's defense to Agrippa. This is where he's starting as a faithful witness. He is, he, he is proclaiming here, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God. To our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul, in his faithful witness to these people, first, we are seeing that, like Paul, number one, we are called to be faithful witnesses because of the hope. That we have. He is being a faithful witness because of this hope that he carries. Paul, who is standing before this group, is declaring of this hope. Why are you on trial, Paul? Because I'm very hopeful. I'm, and I'm declaring this hope to people who need that same hope. Church, we are called to be a hopeful people. Our hope is not in anything this world has to offer. We've, we've preached this message like three, four weeks back. Our hope is not in anything this world has to offer. Our hope is not in, in, uh, good health. Our hope is, our, our hope is not in health. It is not in safety and security. It is not in money. It is not in possessions. It's, it's not in a long life. Our, our hope is not in any of that. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. 
And church, Paul is declaring this hope. He has this hope. First, he has a hope that is in God's promises. A hope that is in God's promises. We see that in verse 5. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Where does this, where does this hopeful promise come from? It comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Word of God. The same Word of God that the Pharisees claim to believe as well. The Pharisees, not the Sadducees. Remember, there's a difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They both make up the Sanhedrin. Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Bible. They're only into the, into the law. But the Pharisees believe in the law and the, and the, and the prophets. And Paul, who was a Pharisee, is claiming that we, we, we have this hope that God promised to us. What is, what is the hope that God promised us? The hope that a Savior will come, a Messiah, who will live and die and rise again. And he's, that's all he's doing. He's proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's what Festus even told Agrippa. That he, all, he, all, all he's talking about is this dude named Jesus who rose again. And yet he's got the Jews in, in this uproar. Well, yeah, because we're, he's claiming that Judaism is now perfected in Christ. It's now fulfilled in Christ. There is now no longer a hope for a coming Messiah. There's a hope that a Messiah has already come and he's going to come again. His hope is in God's promises. Second, his hope is in God's son. God's son that not only through the promises of God's word, but that in God's son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, truly God and truly man, that he has come. And that he has done all that is necessary for us to be saved. That now my hope is not in my works. It never was. The law was never meant to be a hope in our good works. The law was meant to be that you, you are sinful and you need hope in a coming Messiah. Our hope is in that Messiah that has already come. The Messiah who is God's son. And this is, this is the, the news that Paul has already proclaimed. Acts 13. Paul, when, uh, when, when he was preaching, I'm sorry, Acts, yeah, Acts 13, when Paul was preaching to, uh, uh, the people in Antioch in Pisidia with Barnabas, he says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Our hope, this hope that we have, is in the promises of God's word and it is in God's son. Our hope is in the one who has come and lived the life that you couldn't live and died the death that you should have died. The one who came and received all of God's wrath. We just sang about it. The man of sorrows who came and had all of God's wrath poured out on him. That's where our hope lies. And thirdly, not only does our hope lie in God's promises and in God's son, but in Christ's identity. In Christ's identity. Paul tells us here, Beginning in verse four, he talks about how my manner of life from my youth, man, I was, I was a Jew. I was a, I was a Pharisee. 
I was, I was one of you. My identity was in that. But yet he tells us in Philippians 3, 3 through, 3 through 10, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I'm choking. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, what does he say? I have more. My identity was in who I was. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Gentlemen, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. My identity was in who I was and in what I did. He even, he even goes on to share with them. We're going to see here shortly how he went on and opposed Jesus and he persecuted the church. He hunted down Christians and he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was pleasing God, but yet our, our works don't please God. Not for salvation. They don't, they don't fulfill what we need to be saved. What does, what does Paul say in the rest of Philippians 3? He says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. They're, they, 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 they are trash. They're worthless. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. My hope is not in my identity. It's not in who I once was. It's not in my last name. It's not in my church attendance. It's, it is not in my title. Can I say that? Deacons, pastors, children's leaders, it's not in your title. Your hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. And Paul is showing that. Not only, not only are we called to be faithful witnesses because of this hope that we have. Secondly, we are called to be faithful witnesses because we have been transformed. We have been transformed. Verses 9 through 14, Paul says this. He continues on as he's talking to Agrippa. He, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues. And tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He, he continues on. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Church, he's, he's showing us his past. He's showing us the person he once was when we are being faithful witnesses as we share the gospel with people. A lot of times the best way we can start the conversation is by showing people who we once were. Because I am no longer that person. That person is dead and buried. 
I am no longer the one that I once was, the one that I am ashamed of, the one that would that, that, that if he was standing here before you today, you wouldn't even know that person. Paul saying, I once was a guy who hunted down the people I now worship with. We've seen across the nation these Christians that are being persecuted and hunted down. Talking about ISIS. Talking about those terrorists that their hope is to hunt down Christians. We see it in Afghanistan with the Afghan church. But our hope, our hope is not just, hear me say this, not just that the church would be rescued and not destroyed or killed. And I mean physically. You can't spiritually kill the church. I'm talking about people who are given their lives. We, our, our hope is not that they be pr- protected, not just that they be protected. But our hope is also that people may come to be known by Jesus and may come to know Jesus. That these terrorists that are hunting down... I mean, this is Paul. Can you imagine if we had somebody who used to be ISIS, who, whose job was once to hunt down Christians... And yet he's sitting beside you in the pew, lifting his hands and praising God with you. Or he might be up here preaching to you. That's Paul. I once was a guy who hunted these people down. He's been transformed. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's weird language. (laughs) What do you mean? The sentence there is referring to the fact that Paul has been really resisting Christ, really resisting God. When we look at the Second London Baptist Confession, when, when, when we look at the chapter on divine providence or even the chapter on salvation, it talks about where God uses these second means to have His purposes accomplished. These, these, these means of people in our lives, possibly situations that we go through, life circumstances. And Paul's gone through that. Everything that Paul has done up to that point, God's been walking with him. God's been working in his life to get him to the point he's at now so that he may fall to his knees. So that he may see who Christ is. He's been transformed, firstly, on number two. He's been transformed by grace. Paul, who has been killing people and hunting them down and imprisoning them and trying to get them to blaspheme and, 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 and getting them to suffer. It, we, we see that he, he, he was not looking for Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus had resurrected from the dead at this point. He was not, he was not like C.S. Lewis where, 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 where he was searching for it. I'm sorry, Lee Strobel. C.S. Lewis was the reluctant convert who had the hounds of heaven coming after him. And this is Paul who had the hounds of heaven coming after him. And on that road to Damascus, a hound of heaven came up and bit him because he fell to his knees. By grace, Christ showed himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you keep resisting me? I'll tell you what, Paul, you ain't going to resist no more. 
I'm about to wreck your life with the gospel, with grace. That's how that's how Christ has come into our life, transformed us. It's not just where it's, yeah, I made this decision and I follow Christ. No, Christ invaded you, invaded your soul, caused a transformation to where you're not even the same person anymore. The old man is dead, the new is resurrected. Paul, just like us, has been transformed by grace. Secondly, not only transformed by grace, but transformed to Christ. Verse 15, and I, Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We are not only transformed by grace, but we are transformed to Christ. To where now he is the one that we want to seek after. He's the one that we desire. Our eyes have been opened. Our souls have been changed. Our heart is no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And we are called to be faithful witnesses because we have been transformed to Christ. Because we know what true treasure looks like. We know what true satisfaction looks like. We know what true, what the true Savior looks like. It's Jesus. And we should want people to see Him because we too, like verse 18, have had our eyes opened so that we may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's just like in Ephesians 2, where Paul, who is writing to the church in Ephesus, he tells them, he says, and you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You, he's talking to the church. Church, he's talking to people who are saved and transformed. We all in here, once we're following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. If we weren't following Jesus, we were following Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Church, we all were like that. All of us. On a road to hell. On a road heading towards the one that we were worshiping, and that's Satan himself. Church, we were children of wrath. And then verse 4, but God, not but you, not but your decision, not but your intuition, not but your searching, but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, it is. And really, church, I think we become complacent about that. I think we forget how amazing it is that Christ has saved me. 
that Christ has saved you. Have you looked in the mirror lately? You're not the prettiest person on the inside, are you? But yet, before, before Christ even changed us and transformed us, we who were sinners, we, Romans 5, who were enemies of God, enemies of God, God reached down and in His grace and mercy grabbed our hearts and crushed that heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. Why me? Why me? A lot of times we sit here and we, and we wonder, why isn't God saving other people? No, 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 no. The question is, why did He even save me? Why did He save Paul? Paul should have been struck down on that road, but yet he's been transformed to Christ. And thirdly, not only has he been transformed by grace and transformed to Christ, he's been transformed for mission. Verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared verse, first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their Repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. His calling, his transformation was not to sit on his behind and not do anything. It was to get up and be on mission to share Christ, to share the gospel so that people may repent and turn to God. And not only that, but to perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. And this is what Paul was doing. I'm just telling people to do what I'm doing. I'm just telling people about the one that transformed me. And yet he's on trial for it. But he's being a faithful witness because he's been transformed. And not only that, number three, we are called to be faithful witnesses by relying on God's strength. Verse 22, to this day. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. I, I dwelled on verse 22. I dwelled on verse 22. Because do we not need to be reminded of God's strength? Even Paul Paul, who when we read about Paul, he's like second to Christ, right? I mean, it's Paul. Paul in verse 22, who says to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Church, how many here needed the help that comes from God in order to walk into the doors this morning? How many in here needed the help that comes from God in order to roll out of bed? How many in here needs the help from God day to day? So that they may proclaim the gospel. So that they may seek out people who need to know Jesus. So that they may be faithful in their witness. Paul is doing this by relying on God's strength. First, he's relying on God's strength to proclaim. To proclaim. Verse 22 and 23. He Relies on God's strength, and so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. We need God's strength to proclaim the gospel. We need God's strength to be able to proclaim to our friends. It's Thanksgiving. You ready? 
I've already got my turkey pants. I'm ready for it. Turkey pants, y'all don't know what they are? They're the elastic waist. Yeah, I got, I got the elastic waist that actually looks dressy, so you don't even know. I might be wearing them now, you don't even know it. But what is it about Thanksgiving that we're not allowed to do at most family functions? Can't talk about politics and can't talk about Jesus. Well, guess what? I'm knocking on the door this Thursday. And I pray you do too, because we need God's strength to share the gospel with even our family members. I have lost family members. I know you do too. I have family members that need to know Jesus. I've got family members that need to know about the hope that I have that helps me live day in and day out. The hope that I have that, 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 that gives me the strength to keep going. The hope that one day this world will be done away with and we're going to be living for eternity face to face with our Lord and Savior. We need God's strength to proclaim the gospel. And secondly, we need God's strength to be bold. Verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, who put his foot in his mouth, by the way, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Have you ever been told that sharing the gospel with somebody? You're out of your mind. You probably need to share the gospel a little more then because you sound crazy. Festus says you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe the prophets. That was a bold statement. To a king, I know that you believe the prophets. Church, we need God's strength to be bold. We live in, in a world in which we need men, we need families, we need, we need proclaimers to be bold in their witness of God's word. And I'm, I'm a little worried that the church today, and I'm talking about the physical church that we see gathering on Sunday mornings, the church today is raising up a bunch of wussies. Can I say that word from, from the pulpit? They are. Men and women who want to be tolerant of all things. Men and, and women who don't want to offend people. But let me tell you, church, the gospel is offensive and the gospel is not tolerant. We are called to repent and turn to God. We are called to repent and look to the Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called to die to ourselves, pick up our cross daily and follow him. We're called to be bold with that. Church needs to rise up. Church needs to change. It does. And I'm thankful for the men and the women in our church who are bold, who are not ashamed to let people know what the gospel is. Fourthly, we are called to be faithful witnesses because of the God-given desire to see people saved. Look at verse 28. Paul says this, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul responds by saying, Whether short or long, no matter how long it takes, I would wish to see that God not only would save you, but also all who hear me this day. 
that they might become such as I am, except for these chains. I love the way God uses words, and I love how God spoke through Luke to add, except for these chains. Church, we should have a desire to see people saved first from their sin. Paul, who is standing there in chains, proclaiming the gospel to a people who are not in chains, is the only person in that room that is set free. He is the only person in that room that is not in bondage to their sin. He is the only person in that room that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to where the chains around his wrist and around his ankles really mean nothing. But his desire is to see people who are not in chains. And I think more importantly, not in chains to their sin. Church, we look on the news. We look out the front door. We look in the schools that we go to or we look at the jobs that we go to or even the grocery store. And we see people who are living in their sin. I even know of churches that are tolerant of people living in their sin. And this is why church membership is so necessary. Church membership means you are putting us over you in authority to hold you accountable so that you don't live in sin. It's not that we're trying to police you. We care about your soul. And the Word shows us that if we are living in our sin, that if we are happy with our sin, if we're comfortable with our sin, Jesus is not comfortable with us. You can't have your sin and have Jesus too, but yet we as a people should have this desire to see people saved from their sin. We should have this burden. I, I, I went to a very liberal undergraduate school. Um, And I had a friend of mine there who was not liberal, very like-minded as I am, and he quit that school. But not for theological reasons. He quit that school because he had it on his heart that the time that he's wasting in the classroom, there are people on the streets dying without the gospel. Now, I was a little convicted by that, but you're talking to a guy who's still in school. I'm in seminary. I'm sitting in the classroom, which is in my house. And I'm taking classes. But that doesn't mean that that burden isn't there, that people are not dying without the gospel. Church, we should have this desire to see people saved from their sin. Secondly, secondly, not only saved from their sin, the saved from God's judgment. Look at verse 30 through 32, and then we're going to close out. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and all those who were sitting with him. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Understand this. Paul's judgment is not in the hands of Agrippa or Bernice or Festus or even soon to come Caesar. Paul's judgment is not in those hands. Paul's judgment is in the hands of God and he's already been set free from that because of Christ. Church, we 
should have a desire to see people saved from God's judgment. Because of Christ, yes, there will come a day where all things are going to be shown. Where we're going to give account for every word, every action, every thought, everything that we've done. But we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who will stand in our place, who will have our defense. And the Father, who will look pleasingly upon the Savior, will say, justified. Church, we who have been saved are saved from God's judgment. Paul, who right now in, in, at the end of 26, who knows what's going to happen to him? And we, we know because we've finished the book of Acts, but, or we haven't finished, but Paul knows that his judgment is secure in God because of Christ. So church, we should have that desire to see people in the same state. So church, my question to you this morning are you a faithful witness of Jesus Christ? Maybe, maybe you need to ask Christ to give you that burden for the lost. To give you that desire to see people saved from their sin and from God's judgment. Maybe, maybe you need to be reminded of your transformation, of the grace that God has saved you. Because church, you did not deserve it. Maybe you need to be reminded of the fact that we have a strength from God in our weaknesses. That when we proclaim, even me, as I stand up here and preach God's Word, it is not on my skill. It is not on my strength. I have a stutter. I have to rely on God's strength during this. Church, maybe you need to be reminded of the hope that you have. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe today's that day. We see Agrippa and Festus and Bernice having a conversation of Jesus before Paul even, even comes in. They're talking about Christ. Yeah, this man, this man who rose from the, from the dead. Maybe, maybe you are like them and you've already had those conversations with people. Maybe you've already been a, a witness to the gospel, but yet you've never, ever taken that step to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. May I implore that you do that today. We're not promised today or tomorrow. Are you a faithful witness to Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the hope that you give us. Lord, I pray that you do a work with us this morning. As we seek to be faithful witnesses of you, of your gospel, of your son, do a work within us. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.